Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. If you're new to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast, this is a Q&A podcast where we talk to the members of the course where they're asking questions about specific elements of the Mandarin Blueprint method, or they're giving suggestions on how to remember a Chinese character or a Chinese word. And sometimes they're just giving their comments or experience and feedback about the course. But before we get into any of those comments and questions this week, I just want to give several announcements about where we're at with our many projects. We're juggling a lot of things right now. Uh, and that's, uh, I hope that people who are on the course can understand that just because we're getting a lot of people making feature requests at the moment, which is totally cool. We, we take note of all these things and, you know, put it on our list, but you know, we have a lot of stuff going on, so it's not uh, so easy for us to quickly make something happen, you know, um, which I'll get into a little bit more later, but I want to give you an update on all of our various projects. So Project one, the phase two vocab, new vocab unlocked lessons are very soon going to be replaced. Uh, our uh, wonderful video editor, uh, Sinisha, has been going through the final bits of it because as per usual, I messed up the camera settings when I shot it and I had the, um, you know, that auto white balance on. So it just kept changing brightness throughout the whole thing. And so he's going through it right now, trying to make it look a little bit better. Uh, and so once that's finished, um, because, you know, I, I shot for over two hours, it was, and I did a, you know, it was a good, it was a good shooting session. So I don't want to reshoot it, but unfortunately those settings were, so he, anyway, he's working on that and soon that'll be ready to go. And we'll have new new vocab unlocked lessons for phase two, which even if you're well beyond phase two, I would recommend that you check out those lessons because we go through the vocab mnemonics cheat sheet and make sure that we cover all of the different elements of how to remember a compound word. And a compound word is just of two or more characters. And that means that it's a little bit different than the Hensa movie method, which is about one character. It's more focused on the many kind of more improvisational techniques you can use with sound mnemonics as as well as uh, personal memories and how you can come to many different layers of understanding for the word level. And in the foundation course, this is very important to do. When you're in the when you're in the foundation course, having a word-based mnemonic makes a lot of sense because you're still getting used to how Chinese words even work. In phase two, you haven't even done any sentences yet, so you certainly need some time to understand how the two characters relate to each other. And then phase three and four, you're still getting to know how grammar works, so you can't rely on grammar quite yet to be your tool for memorizing a word. Now, once you get into the intermediate course, at that point, you've seen thousands and thousands of sentences. And so, you can theoretically, actually for the majority of words, you can skip the step of doing a compound word vocab mnemonic because the grammar in and of itself will help teach you the word. But because some words still require a little bit of extra work to remember, we're going to create an optional flashcard deck that is similar to the word connection cards that we have in the foundation course. They'll be exactly the same thing, except they'll just be optional. So you can skip them if you find that the grammar and the words in them, uh, the words in context teach you well enough. And that's important because while these techniques can really help you, if you don't need them, then don't spend the time on them because there's a lot to do when you're learning Chinese. So if you there's a step, if there is a step you can skip, 
then that'll save you time in the long run. And so I would say that maybe about 10% of the intermediate words need that extra step because they're kind of complicated and the grammar itself won't get you there alone. But if you were to do it for all 3,000 words in the intermediate course, it would be you know too much extra time that you're spending that's unnecessary because, again, if you can look at a paragraph and see a word in the context of a paragraph or a sentence, often that's enough to understand how it works because your grammar module has already been developed by the intermediate course and then it continues to get uh, stronger as you go through it. So that's a couple of updates there. Uh, regarding the intermediate course, uh, I know I've been talking about these intermediate course stories for a while. Like all the lessons are set up in the intermediate course. They're not published yet, but they're set up. They're, the recordings are completed. What we're just working on now is the text tracking. And uh, Ija is helping us with that. So thank you to Ija. Shout out uh, because she's been putting together um, the code to make that happen. And so great stuff going on there. It's just taking a little bit longer than we anticipated, but that's fine. It's uh, going to be great. They're going to be awesome, very helpful. And also another intermediate course update. So I'm going to put something to the side here. I'm just going to take note of it and then just put it to the side. Recently, the HSK test folks announced the changes because they're making changes to the which is the only test for Chinese as a second language that's internationally recognized, and they're updating it. Now, um, they're updating it to be nine levels as opposed to six, and it's actually kind of interesting how they're doing it. I thought that they were going to be like, you know, HSK 9 is the equivalent of what is currently HSK 6, but it's not. It's like um, HSK 7, 8, and 9, like 8 and 9 are higher than the HSK 6 ever was. So uh, there's a, and apparently the HSK three or four is going to be the equivalent of the HSK five and the HSK five is going to be the equivalent of the HSK six. So there's definitely going to be some changes and we're going to have to have a bit of a transitionary period where we refer to how it was up until now. Actually, I don't think they're officially making the change until July, 2021. Um, so there's going to be a period of time where we're going to have to say old HSK five versus like new HSK three or whatever. And you know, this, it's going to be a probably a little bit of a, a rough transition in some ways, but we'll do the analysis and we'll make sure that we eventually make it clear what everything is in terms of their uh, HSK level for the old HSK and the new HSK. Um, but the point being that with that aside, I'm going to talk about some updates we've made based on the old HSK uh, because we started this before they made this announcement. So, uh, all right. So here's what we've done. The foundation course has 500 characters and 1,000 words. It's 592 characters, but those extra 92 are just there to help teach you the most common 500. And that most common 500 and most common 1,000 words, that's 80% of the language by frequency, hence why we call that the foundation, phases 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And so it's the whole 80-20 rule. It's about 20% of your total effort in Chinese to get to 80% of the language by frequency. And you can get through the foundation course, like, you know, probably in four to six months, maybe even you could get through it faster than that if you were really devoted. But, you know, four to six months if you spend like, you know, a couple hours a day on it. Now, the foundation course covers 
the most common 1,000 words, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot more words that you could create with those 500 characters. So what we did was an analysis of the HSK-5 to see what HSK-5, and again, the old HSK-5, uh, what HSK-5 words are made up of foundation course characters. And it turns out there's 219 of them. And I went through, analyzed all 219 words, found all of their usages. Uh, so, you know, some characters have one usage, some characters have four usages, um, and, you know, so, so on and so forth. Figured out all their usages. And by usage, I just mean like this word can be used as an adjective, it can be used as a noun, it can be used as a verb. And sometimes it's like, okay, it can be used as a verb here, and it can also be used as a verb here, but the difference in definition is so extreme that like will definitely make more than one sentence for it sometimes the difference in definition is just uh a similar english word it's like um you know considerate versus caring it's like okay yeah they're, they're pretty close so we'll just call that one usage but um sometimes it's like uh it's um open to new ideas and then open, uh, well, I'm thinking of the word kaifang, which means, uh, you know, open to new ideas. And sometimes it means open politically. And then sometimes it means open to um, certain activities in the bedroom. So, you know, the, the words that have, even though they're all verbs there, they're different in how they function. So we'll call those different usages. Anyway, so in the end, there ended up being 330 usages out of the 219 words. And I've asked our writing team to write two sentences for each usage. So basically 660 sentences, 219 words, 330 usages. And what we're going to do with these is put them into our new flashcard software. And for people who are on the intermediate course, this is a useful set of flashcards. It's going to be uh, new material that you haven't learned yet that you should learn. So the reason we are going to put it there and not into Anki, I mean, we might eventually put it into Anki, but we're going to first put it into our new flashcard software because we want to get two groups for our beta test. Now, the one group is going to be people who are brand new to Mandarin Blueprint, and that's because we need to have people who don't have Anki in their head to consider uh, what it is. Like, you know, if you already have a comparison to Anki, you're going to have one perspective, and we want that perspective. But we also need the perspective of people who are brand new and don't have that comparison to Anki so they can tell us, like, oh, this works great, or, geez, I hate this. And they're, they're not colored by the experience of using Anki. That said, though, we do want people who are in demand or in blueprint who know how it works to give us their feedback and give us their bug fixes and feature requests so the people who are on the intermediate course this flashcard deck is new material that you should learn so please let us know if you'd like to get access to this flashcard deck uh, so that you can start working on it and if it's new material that you should know, you'll be incentivized to go back every day and use the flashcard software, which therefore will make it more likely for you to recognize where the flashcard software needs improvement and send us your feedback. So the beta test is probably going to come up and get started in one to two weeks, probably closer to two weeks. And uh, from recording this, so maybe by the time this comes out, it'll be about a week away. Uh, so the people who are interested, if you're still not signed up for the beta test and you want to get access to this flashcard deck and you have either done the intermediate course already or you're in the intermediate course, then send us an email to contact at mandarinblueprint.com. 
say that you want to be involved in the beta test and we'll add you to the list. And the first part of the beta test will just be using this new flashcard deck that is based on the HSK5 words from the foundation course characters. And just by the by, the reason why this is the first deck we're using is because when we created the intermediate course, we did it based on the idea that first frequency, first just like focus on frequency, then focus on common props. So common character components that are shared between different characters and group them together. And then our final thought was, let's make sure that the HSK4 is completely covered by the end of it. And by doing that, we uh, can ensure that by the end of the intermediate course, for sure, you'll be able to pass the HSK4. Now, we didn't necessarily take into account the HSK5, although there are many HSK5 and HSK6 words, but the first thing we wanted to do was go through the foundation course and find the missing HSK5 words since the HSK4 is already covered. And there actually also are a bunch of HSK6 words you can create through the foundation course, but you'll focus on that after the intermediate course is over. You know, you don't want to stack too many HSK6 words early in the course when you haven't even gotten all the HSK4 words yet. So by the end of the intermediate course, we're going to have it so that all the HSK5 vocabulary that you can make in the foundation intermediate course is covered. And then the beginning of the advanced course will cover the remainder of the HSK5 words and then start focusing on the HSK6 in earnest. So now, all of that being said, of course, we're going to have to reanalyze everything for the new HSKs, but a lot of the characters and words are the same. It's just reorganized a bit, and then we'll have to you know, look at where there are new words or words that were deleted or whatever. So um, that's all fine. We'll, we'll get to that when the time comes. So that's an update there. Let's see. Other updates. Just um, the only other update is that we are, we've done our initial analysis to prepare for the advanced course and so we're we're starting to work on it we're starting to put our time in day to day to get to that and so the flashcards the intermediate course stories these phase two vocab unlocked lessons and recreating them uh and the advanced course prep are all in the works so um if you have other stuff that you'd like us to get to, of course, minor mistakes, we'd like to fix those. Anytime you see something like that, that's fine. Uh, but any big projects at the moment are going to have to go after the this set here. Um, and all of them, though, will hopefully be done by the end of this year with the advanced course being the, you know, that's the most ambitious goal to get that one done by the end of the year. And actually, hopefully by Black Friday, we'll see. So. With that in mind, let's get into the questions and comments from this week, and we'll go from there. The first question this week comes from Ernie in the community forum. He says, I'd like to ask some advice about making movies. I started this course with some knowledge of Chinese speaking and also know some characters. Some of those characters are already quote unquote engraved in my memory. I know the meaning and can read and write them properly. I am sure I won't forget those. Any suggestions about how to proceed with these characters? 
After coming across some of them already, I found that making the full scene with the props, actors, sets, and all the interaction is just adding some confusion. I was thinking about just making a simple snapshot of the actor and set location in order to consolidate what I already know, and also help me remember sets and actors, but I don't know if that can be a problem in the long term. Any thoughts? That would be only for the characters I am 100% sure that I already know and won't ever forget which are not that many. If I have doubts about the writing or the tone, I'm making the full scene just to be sure I learn it properly. Thanks. Well, Ernie, it sounds like you have the, the right understanding of what to do. Essentially, you know, because the Hanzi movie method is a system that requires an understanding of actors, sets, and props, which are, uh, again, pinion initials, pinion finals, uh, and the tone is the room in the set, so uh, that's related to sets as well. And then the props are the character components. This isn't something that you likely did in your previous Chinese study. Uh, so if you're running into a character that you already know for sure, then the simplest way to think of it is just skip the make a movie lesson because you don't need to make a full scene if you absolutely know it. But you have the right attitude, which is that you must 100% know it. If you even have a doubt about the tone, then you should still make a full scene because not knowing the tone is a key bit of information. So if you didn't know that, then you know, you're going to run into problems in the long run. So you have the right uh, thoughts about it. And I would say that as long as you know that the actor sets and props still need to be a part of your flashcards and still need to be chosen, then you're good to go. So thanks to Ernie for that question. Next, we have a question from Jessica M in the community. And um, just before I read this, I wanted to mention that this is um, a topic that is uh, has been kind of contentious. Uh, we've gone, I've you know written or made videos to Jessica a couple of times, and uh, I, I get the sense that she's still not convinced about my perspective on this. So I'm going to try to put forward my perspective on this. And for now, I need it to be sort of the final word on it for the short term. Because like I've mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we have so many projects going on right now that it's not um, in the cards for us to do a full revamp like it seems like Jessica's interested in us doing of our keywords, but I have a reason why we might not do that that I hopefully will be able to express today in a way that I haven't been able to so far in the correspondence with Jessica. And just to be clear, when I say it's contentious, I don't mean there's any bad feeling about it. I just mean that we're still not seeing the common ground about it. Uh, so let's get into it. She says, in the intermediate course, keywords become more abstract and less useful in scene creation. Many keywords I find too abstract to build a memorable story with. Others I've already pinned to a Chinese word, and still others don't have any meaning to me. I've been changing the keywords as the inspiration comes to me. A small handful of examples. I renamed yu to rearview mirror, xiao to chocolate, and as a bonus, sounds like coincidence, xin to sisyphus, and chuan to give away. For example, makes more sense than to pass on. So I'd like to suggest compiling a list of keyword rename sources from us to provide suggestions for renaming keywords and warnings to prevent choosing a rename that causes a problem later. Yeah, so everything, so this is what I think that Jessica kind of wants here. She wants to have her cake and eat it too with these Chinese characters, which is to say that it would it would be great if upon learning a character, you could just immediately memorize it and all its usages and how it's supposed to work in Chinese. But 
The Mandarin blueprint method doesn't work like that, uh, nor did the Heisig method for that matter. Um, the way that it works is you get a cursory understanding of the character for long enough to be able to see it in context and get and really master it that way. So the mastery of the character does not happen at the step of making a movie. That's your structural knowledge of the character. You create your basic structure. You go, okay, I know how it's pronounced. I know what the components are. And I know a general sense of its meaning. But you don't master it until you've seen it in context several times. So uh, the one that really came up a lot was chuan, to pass on. And what we mean by that is to pass on to someone else, hence why the the person component is in it. So you could pass on a disease, chuan ren. You could uh, pass on a tradition, chuan tong. So like, or a system, which is, and so chuan tong means to pass on a system, aka a tradition. Um, and chuan uh, zhen is the word for facts, which is not really necessary to know anymore, but it gives you an idea of how you pass on something and it's a Jinda piece of paper when you fax something. Um, and so this is kind of a general idea of how the word works. Now, if you know that chuan means to pass on, maybe when you were making the movie, you thought that it meant like to pass on uh, as in to give away something, uh, which isn't exactly what it means, but it's clearly what Jessica thought it meant. But then you'll find out very quickly that that's not what it means when you see it in context. Now, to be clear... If there is an English uh, synonym that is unclear, then we can try to make the keyword clearer to just to be sure that what we're talking about here is uh, one thing and not the other. But my contention is that you're never going to get to the point where you totally understand a character at the scene building level. And the fact that you know its pronunciation, that you know its props, and you know uh, a general idea of the meaning means that when you arrive at the words, then it's fine. Now, let's suppose that you had the wrong idea in your head and you thought to pass on meant to give away. Or maybe you thought to pass on meant to pass away, to die, right? Because... Um, it's not impossible for it to have that meaning in English. Even if you had that, you still remember the words to pass on. And then when you arrive at the uh, individual vocabulary words and then you see it being used in context, you're going to realize, oh, it's not to pass on as in to die. It's to pass on as in, you know, give to somebody else and pass on to another person. Now, you might say, well, doesn't that mean that I learned it wrong? And it's like, well, no, because the way mnemonics work and the way living links work is that even if there's an English uh, um, homonym or, uh, yeah, that's the, I think that's what it is, a homonym, then uh, you can use the link to the homonym to remember the actual word. So even if you, so for example, we say when you're learning dan in dan shi, if you that means but as in B-U-T, as in a uh, transition in a sentence, B-U-T. So you can imagine a scene that involves a baboon but, B-U-T-T, and that will still help you remember that dan means B-U-T because the English homonym is enough of a link to remember it. So the context is what gets you to the mastery at that point. So let's take a look at this, for example. Um... She changed it to rear view mirror. Um, the, the 
keyword we gave for gave for it was to raise slash rear. And I actually uh, chose to raise slash rear to make sure that it was clear that we're not talking about to raise like raise something up. We're talking about raise like raise a child. So because you also rear a child or you uh, raise or rear plants or cultivate, you know, certain things. And cultivate was a, I believe that was a keyword for another character. So we used to raise slash rear. Now, does this cover every single possible usage of u? Well, no, it's, you're going to get the rest of the usages when you see them in context. And uh, so the idea here is that you don't need to have a full understanding. You just need to have enough of an understanding that when you see it in the different words and then you see it in the different context, you remember to raise slash rear and then uh, you can kind of build your understanding and mastery of the character around that general concept. Now, I also want to be clear that I'm not saying that every keyword we made couldn't be improved and there couldn't be a, a further explanation, but the problem is that this is a little bit of an art. It's not objective in, in that way because you have to look through the very, like, you know, here's an example. The character, Bao, we gave it the keyword of bag because that's its most common usage. But if you want to be technical about it, Bao really just means a slightly spherical enclosure that's filled with something. So therefore, like suppose I have a mosquito bite on my arm. You could say that that's a little Bao because it's a spherical lump that has, is filled with, you know, some kind of fluid or something, right? And we... We could say that the keyword is spherical object filled with some kind of substance, right? And like, but that's just going to be too confusing. So we said, okay, let's go with the most common uh, main usage of it, which is a bag, which falls into the category of generally spherical uh, object that fills you fill with stuff or is filled with stuff, but it's more concrete. So. Where exactly do you draw that line? Well, it's it's somewhat more art than science. So I'm certainly not saying that everything that we, every keyword that we made is perfect and that we couldn't make it clearer. But if you try to add too much to it, then you can end up going too far and trying to have your cake and eat it too, which is to say completely understanding the Chinese character before you've had a chance to see it in context. You cannot understand a Chinese character before you've had a chance to see it in context. All you can do is build a great structure around it so that when you eventually get to that context, you'll be able to uh, build from there. So another example here, Xin, we gave that the keyword of hard and laborious. And what Jessica did was change it to Sisyphus. And in this case, this is a classic example of Jessica demonstrating what we just call a keyword connection. So you see that the keyword is hard and laborious. That's what it means, or at least that's the main primary meaning of this character. And so a good way to remember hard and laborious is to think of Sisyphus, because he was pushing the rock up the hill every day and letting it roll down and pushing the rock up the hill. It's a really hard and laborious character. Now, the reason I wouldn't make the keyword here Sisyphus is because, A, maybe somebody hasn't heard of Sisyphus or that particular story, uh, but B, that's a connection to the keyword, not the keyword itself. We'd prefer to have the abstract meaning as the keyword. Another example here, Chiao. Uh, Chiao means coincidence. That's what it means. Now, it also happens to be the character, because of its pronunciation, uh, that begins the word Chiao Keli 
which means chocolate. So I see why she's making the uh, connection to chocolate, and that's perfectly fine to make uh, that keyword connection. But that's a what we call the multiple syllable morpheme, uh, which we talked about in our word structure videos, where you have multiple characters, but only one morpheme. Uh, whereas if you want to learn xiao as a character that gets used in other words, you need to learn its one character morpheme, which is to say coincidence. That's what xiao means for the most part. And you tend to use it just like zhen xiao, like zai jar kan dao ni zhen xiao, which would mean like, I, oh, seeing you here is what a coincidence, right? Uh, and a xiao he is a is the noun for a coincidence, though that was really quite the chalhu. Um, now, the reason we want you to focus on that is because that's when you're using it as a morpheme in several different compound words. Chocolate as a uh, as a keyword connection really should be what you're using to remember the word chalkali. Uh, not the character itself. So again, this, we just there are many thoughts that go into this. Another one that came up uh, that she brought up was yu. Uh, so this comes up in the intermediate course in level forty-four. It's a very simple character. It's just the uh, R component, so the twins from The Shining, and uh, the hockey stick component, which I think looks a little more like a field hockey stick because it's got like a very short hook at the end. So it's a simple character, and it's a formal character, meaning in or at. And so it's kind of the formal preposition that is used for in or at. Now, Jessica asked in the course, how is this different from li, which means inside? And the answer is they're very different, but the other answer is that uh, you're going to find out because in the very next lesson, after the make a movie lesson for Yu, there are 15 words that are unlocked that use that character. So by the end of reading up on those 15 words and reading the sentences that are in them, you're going to understand the difference between Yu and Li. And they're actually quite, quite different uh, in that way. And I thought that was the perfect example of how the Hanzi movie method is just meant to give you a cursory understanding at first. You know the components, you know the pronunciation, you know the tone, and you know a basic meaning. Then you see it in context, and then you are able to master it from there. So hopefully this helps get across the idea that these different steps, these different parts of the Hanzi movie method process are not... Um, you know, it, do, it doesn't require that you completely master the character at first. And like I said before, even if the you had the wrong impression of the keyword, that you thought it meant something different than what it, than what it does actually mean, because you then get to see it in context so quickly after learning it, you'll quickly correct that problem. Now, I, as a final, I'm going to say this caveat for the final time. I'm not saying that all our keywords are perfect. You know, we're human, we make mistakes, and we real, we should have in many cases recognize that, oh, it would be better to clear this up, clear up that we mean this and not that. But I'm just saying that even if we made that mistake, that shouldn't mean that it's impossible for you to learn the keyword or for you to learn the character because even a wrong understanding of the keyword is still has a connection back to the real understanding because English homonyms work, the whole but, but thing. So again, this problem is mostly just overthinking and trying to get to the point of understanding the character too early, trying to have your character cake and eat it too. So 
Remember, it all plays into your mastery of the character. And uh, there's no way that if you see Chuan in context several times and realize, okay, here's it used in the word Chuan Ren. Here's it used in the word facts, Chuan Zhen. Here's it used in the word um, uh, tradition, Chuan Tong. Very quickly, you're going to get, this doesn't mean to give away. It means to pass on, as in to pass on to another person, to pass on an idea, to move from one person to the next. And could we make a note in the Henza movie method scene that makes that clear? Yes, and I think we already have. And so we will try to do that, but just don't let these little objections stop you from making progress because it's just going to slow you down and get you to fluency and literacy in Chinese slower because you're overthinking it. So uh, this is my final word on the topic for the time being. I'm not saying I won't go back to it at some point, but at this point I've probably spent at least you know two and a half hours of uh, time I could be working on the advanced course answering this question. So uh, I'm going to leave it at that for now. But if any of you have feedback about this, you know, I'll get back to it at some point in the future. So thank, thank you to Jessica. Seriously, thank you for bringing this up because it's a very important thing that we understand what the nature of learning a Chinese character via the Henzi movie method is. It is not to master the character. I repeat, it is not to master the character. It is to set yourself up to master the character, which you can only do through context. So hopefully that uh, clears things up. And thank you to Jessica. Next, we have a comment from Al Burley in the community forum. He says, hey guys, sorry if this hasn't been asked before, but wondering how long you are spending on the grammar review cards. I am level 2223, but feel I am spending too long on each one, wanting to make sure I infer exactly the correct meaning. I am also starting to try and visualize the meaning as the sentence goes on using only Chinese instead of translating each word. This has actually been really helpful, but an obvious additional challenge. Inevitably, I also have translate to validate my answer. And of course, you know, we give the translations for uh, the sentences pre-intermediate course. Sometimes I understand just fine after the blank has been filled in, but often can't think of what the character should be. If you can't get the characters, do you mark it wrong or hard? Is it better to keep up the pace with an exposure with grammar reviews or slow down and really make sure I am inferring exactly the right meaning each time. With single characters, this is a lot more cut and dry, but longer strings of words carry more ambiguity. I do all of the grammar review cards and try to keep my daily card amount at 130 to 180, including character reviews. Loving the course though, 60 days and 319 characters. Can't believe it when I look back, thanks. Well, first of all, great progress, Al. And you know, the answer here is not necessarily cut and dry, like, like you point out. Um, so here's a few things that are true. One is that there is no sentence in Chinese that is absolutely essential, right? That you must learn. Otherwise, you'll never be able to do Chinese because there's always more than one way to say something. And there's infinite ways to make sentences. Like there, every day somebody says a perfectly valid grammatical Chinese sentence that's never been said before. And maybe, you know, maybe that won't ever be said again, but won't be said for a long time because it's... Um, unnecessary, right? So the the idea that any sentence is essential is wrong. There is no essential sentence. So that's the first thing. So if you're struggling to understand a sentence or you're trying to really get it down, there is a point where you should your brain should go forget it. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get loads of sentences in the future that will help me understand Chinese grammar. Don't waste too much time on any one sentence. 
which is totally not true of characters. If you're if you're doing a character, then you need to focus on the character and you need to make sure you get it because it's an essential uh, building block of the language. But no sentence is a building is an essential building block. Now, um, another question you asked was, should I try to make sure I totally understand the meaning? Well, there's degrees of of progress. So, like for example you could do maybe an extra 50 cards where you're not totally sure if you t if you got the meaning completely but remember your unconscious mind is more powerful than you could possibly imagine right like so even if you don't feel like you consciously understand it in any given moment or you're not quite sure just remember that your unconscious mind is still taking note of the sentence and can't kind of keeping a tab a little bit on a pattern you know, your language module is incredibly po powerful and it notices patterns. And so if you keep going and you keep reading new sentences and you go, I don't know if I totally understood that, but I'm going to move on anyway. Then what will often happen is that you'll see the pattern again later, a similar pattern in a different structure, and it will click into place and suddenly both sentences will make sense to you. Uh, and this and the next time you see it in your flashcard reviews you'll go oh i didn't totally get this one before but now i do and so the fact that that's true means that uh you don't necessarily have to put all of this focus into it now sometimes you're going to feel like you want to right this is important you're going to realize uh, oh actually i feel like i really want to understand the the sentence that i'm seeing here what is it that i'm um just something about it. You're, you've got a, an emotional reaction to the sentence that goes, wait, no, I, I really want to get this. And maybe that's telling you something. Maybe that's telling you that there's something about this concept that for you will help you get over a certain hump. And if that's how you feel about it, then maybe spend that extra time. Um, sometimes you should take a sentence and try to shadow it. Sometimes you should turn the audio off and just try to speed read. Um, and then here's a question that you asked. Sometimes the character that's missing could be another character and this happens from time to time where uh you could say like for example 我叫面包, which is a silly sentence we put in level 13 just to show that you could say my name is bread and it's not nobody's name is bread i mean maybe somewhere in china someone's name is bread but like it's just to teach you a, a basic structure of 叫 means to call someone something or my name is 我叫面包, right? So it's a silly sense. I actually like it. Luke doesn't like it. I like it. It's, you know, because it's not something that's something anybody would say, but it does teach you something. The thing is, you could say 我吃面包, I eat bread. Well, that's a different sentence, but there's the blank is the same and they're both verbs. In fact, they both are verbs with the left side component being mouth, right? So if you guessed 我吃面包, then that's correct in a way. I mean, it's not technically what the card showed, but it is essentially the right answer. So if you guess a character that is not the character we picked, but it is perfectly grammatically correct, then um, you can mark that as as right. And then, but also just take a moment to think about what it, what would be the difference between the meaning. I my name is bread versus I eat bread. Okay, you understand that? Move on. And so um, I hope that this is is helpful to think about. I know that, um, you know, it's not exactly a cut and dry answer, but that's because grammar is not as cut and dry. And you need to remember that you're always getting some kind of unconscious understanding that's moving through as you uh, go through this.
Next, Craig Cavanaugh on the community forum. He says, hi, everyone. I'm curious to hear people's thoughts about using their mother tongue or a language they're adequately proficient in as a basis for learning another language. I understand this is often necessary when starting out as you need something familiar as a reference, but at what point does this become an over-reliance and actually start holding people back? I've seen lots of language resources mention that you should try to use the language to learn the language. I seem to recall Phil mentioning something to that effect as well in an earlier video. When is a good time to do this besides the obvious whenever you can? So there's more to this question, but I'll, I'll answer this first part here. So what Craig is referring to is laddering. So this is where you learn your third language through your second language. So uh, in a couple of years, I'm probably going to be moving to another country, uh, maybe in Europe. And so if I'm in Europe and I'm you know, learning Spanish, maybe if I live in Spain or I'm learning uh, Czech, if I'm living in Prague, then I'm going to try to use Chinese as the translation language on my flashcards, because that way I maintain my relationship with Chinese and I'm also highly proficient in Chinese, so it won't hold me back too much. Um, and uh, that's what he's referring to here. Now, the idea of an over-reliance. Well, I mean, there's, you know, several thoughts about this. Obviously, it's great if you can use a dictionary that's in the same language you're learning. So, like, when I look up something in English, I use an English dictionary, right? So, it's English to English, right? When you start off learning Chinese, you probably use Plico, and then you're going from English to Chinese. So, you're still anchoring your knowledge to your mother tongue, or at least the, the, the language you're highly proficient in. And so... Um, is there a possibility of having an over-reliance? Well, I mean, it's very subjective. I would say that where is the over-reliance time? It depends. Can you learn the character or the word just as fast by seeing a, say, Chinese-to-Chinese -Chinese dictionary versus a Chinese-to-English dictionary? Well, if you can, then the Chinese-to-Chinese -Chinese dictionary is better. But if it really slows you down to do that, then... Um, Maybe the Chinese to English dictionary is better and exactly where that line is. Well, you can certainly say that if it's equal speed, then Chinese to Chinese is better. But suppose it's just a little bit slower to do Chinese to Chinese. Well, if it's just a little bit slower, maybe it's still worth it, but it gets a bit more subjective because maybe it's still worth it because you're dousing yourself in Chinese a bit more. So you have two bits of Chinese, not just the word you're trying to learn, but also the definition. But if you have trouble understanding the definition in just Chinese, then, you know, probably it's more efficient to use the Chinese to English dictionary. And I get that Craig is, Craig's basically saying, when is a good time to do this besides the obvious whenever you can? But the, the answer kind of is whenever you can, because when exactly does that happen? Well, there's some point where you know enough characters and you know enough words that using a Chinese to Chinese dictionary is plausible because if you use a Chinese to Chinese dictionary, but you don't know the words in the definition and you don't know the characters in the definition, then it's not plausible to use it. So I guess to give someone of an objective answer, I believe that Craig is finished with the intermediate course. So that means he knows about 92 to 94% of the language by frequency, which means that there's less than a one in 10 chance that he doesn't know the characters and words in the uh, in the definition of a um, Chinese to Chinese dictionary. So maybe he can try it. But 
I'm not exactly sure because it's like if there if the definition has ten characters, then theoretically there's a decent chance that one of those characters is not going to be recognizable. In which case, is that an essential character to the definition? It depends. So I would actually be curious, Craig, if you were to start using a Chinese to Chinese dictionary, uh, how much you feel it's slowing you down or not, uh, or, or or the lack of slowing you down. So um, that's kind of my response to that. Let's let's see what else. Craig says, I've recently been trying to stop translating everything in my head back to English as it obviously leads to a bit of a delay and slows everything down. I'm getting better and I know it will come with time, but I'm wondering if the fact that practically all of my characters and scenes are tied to an English keyword with many scenes being based on English wordplay is adding to the difficulty of separating the two languages. Watching resources that are purely in Mandarin and hearing them describe new words and phrases using vocabulary I already know really cemented this idea. I found myself having a different sort of connection with these new concepts and it is much easier to utilize them without resorting to English. Has anyone else had similar experiences? Okay, let's answer this, these two paragraphs and uh, then finish it up. So um, I think a lot of what you're comparing here, Craig, is the study mode versus the immersion mode. So one of the, you could think of what Mandarin Blueprint does as being, as preparing you for immersion and getting the most out of immersion. But what's interesting is where you really learn Chinese, where you really start to smash it and make major progress is when you're watching TV, is when you're uh, reading books, is when you're reading articles, is when you're listening to podcasts. That's where you really get good. But it's just impossible to understand anything without a knowledge of characters and pronunciations and all of that stuff. But as you go through Mandarin Blueprint, what we're doing is improving your ability to notice all that stuff uh, on a very basic level. On like a, you know the character here, so therefore you can understand it. But when you're actually immersing yourself in Chinese, that's when you're learning Chinese from Chinese. Now, when you're doing Mandarin Blueprint, you need to connect the character to something you already know. Now, if it happens to be something that we can communicate in the Chinese you already know, then sure, that's better than doing it to English. But the English is something that you do already know, so we can ensure that. Now, if you use an English keyword for a Chinese character, then... Um, what that will achieve, if you can use the English keyword for the Chinese character, is that uh, you're getting your first cursory understanding of the character, you're getting uh, the ability to know how it's pronounced, and you're using visualizations which are kind of outside of language. Um, and if it happens to be that the definition of the word is something that also makes sense in Chinese, then you could imagine, you could visualize it that way. If your visualization of a word in Chinese is very clear, like uh, Chengs is an orange, okay, and the meaning of this new character is the color orange, although it wouldn't be because they're the same, but um, something like that, then you can imagine the Chinese word there. But ultimately, with the hands and movie method, you're just imagining images, which are kind of out, outside of language anyway. It's your raw understanding of the meaning that is what's creating the image in your head. So I don't know that it matters that much as long as the image in your head ends up being the right thing. And then you have the character that you can therefore recognize in immersion and that's where you really learn the language. So um, that's uh, kind of my thoughts about that. 
Finally, to Luke and Phil, have you considered having the next part of the course entirely in Mandarin? I noticed that the intermediate course introduces a lot of characters that have similar meanings to earlier ones, and this just gets more and more likely as the number of characters grow. Would it get too complicated having a scene connect to a separate character that itself has a separate scene? I could see how some confusion may arise there in the future. Did you both always use English for all of your scenes, or did you eventually shift over to Mandarin keywords as well? Sorry for the ramble, but I'd be very interested to hear others' experiences as they become more advanced and hope it might be a good topic for early learners to consider. Thanks, Craig. Well, Craig, this is very thoughtful. It's not rambly at all. This is These are good questions. So um, I hadn't considered putting the... I mean, I, I certainly had considered making all of the things that uh, we write in the lessons be all in Mandarin. So like, you know, um, yongfa versus usage or xia as opposed to top-down words. Uh, which by the way is So means yourself, but it can also mean deriving from. So like uh, deriving from the top are, which is um, that the character like in artsia, like as well as. So like kind of from the top, to the bottom. In this case, like when you have the zi something are something, it means from this to that. So zi shang er xia means from top to bottom. And so top 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 down words basically. And so um that's an example where we would change that to Mandarin. Now, as for the keywords, um this is not impossible to do. And so you've given me a good consideration here. Uh I want to make sure that you have the right image in your head as as close to a right image as possible. So if the if English is better to do that because there isn't a set of Chinese characters that make sense, then I'll use the English word because it just the point is that the image in your head at the end of the Hanzi movie method is clear enough. But if there are a set of if there's a Chinese word you've already learned that's close enough, then uh we could use that. Now my teacher, Yo Lao Shi, he used to say that if there's a different character for something, then there must be a difference in the meaning in some way. Uh, and it, of course, the more advanced you get, the more complicated that gets because the subtle, t the subtle difference in meaning may not be represented in English in any way. So uh, that's something where it gets, you know, tricky at that point. And so we'll use Chinese if we can. I think that I will consider that when coming up with the keywords for the remaining uh, characters in the advanced course uh, and see if, okay, is it possible to do this with Chinese? And then the simplest way to do that is just to have a Chinese to Chinese dictionary that I also use and then uh, just consider, okay, well, they know all these characters, so why not make the keyword uh, Chinese? And so that could be pretty good. So we'll see how that goes. I, I you know, I'll have to consider it. Um, I don't think it's going to make it any more complicated, though, that uh, those characters had separate scenes, because theoretically, by that point, you've already mastered those characters, and you just know what they mean. So it's not like you have to remember the scenes from those characters in order to remember the new scene. It doesn't really matter. Um, okay. So I think that that's, uh, I think I've answered everything from there. I, I will say though, that you asked specifically, did, did you both always use English for all your scenes? And I mean, again, it depends on what you mean by use English. I use the English word to think of the image that I would use uh, to create the scene, but the image, I guess, exists outside of language. But yes, we use the Heisig books originally and the Heisig books have all, English keywords. So yes, we did use all English for those. And of course, we still ended up being able to 
understand Mandarin uh, in its entirety. So that's um, that's the answer to that. Hopefully that's clear uh, enough for you, Craig. Thanks for the question. Next, we have William Edmides in the community. So William has now been on the course for two years. He says, hello, Mandarin blueprinters. Nothing too interesting, but I just wanted to share that it's been two years since I first bought a lifetime subscription and started the Pronunciation Mastery course. It's really changed my life and where I see myself headed, and I know I couldn't have reached my current level without the Mandarin Blueprint Method, and certainly not within the same time frame. Best money I'll probably ever spend on something. <laughs> That's a high praise. I've been listening to testimonials on other podcasts and how they reached a comfortable level of fluency in Chinese, and the vast majority of them describe their progress in years and the hard slogs they've had to endure. When this course makes it possible to measure that same progress in months, and it's fun. Seriously, I almost feel guilty that it's this easy. It's been nearly a year since I finished the intermediate course in May, quietly plugging away at Anki every day and listening to Ali Richards' conversations. When I get the chance, it's worth checking out. There's 20 episodes of roughly three minutes each that tell a story of a new couple arriving in quiet Suzhou from busy Shanghai. And there's some drama too, but I won't spoil it too much. It's aimed at intermediate audience and features native audio with transcripts, episode summaries, and a list of top-down words. Long story short, I just wanted to give a big shout-out to Luke and Phil and everyone in the Mandarin Blooper community for making this course possible. You guys rock. Here's to many more years of ridiculous scene creation. Jiao Will. Oh, awesome. I never knew that William liked to be called Will. Nice. <laughs> well, thanks so much for this feedback, uh, William. Ali Richards' podcast is definitely uh, awesome. The His stuff that he does in conversations, you know, is, is really great stuff. We did a podcast with him a few weeks ago. Great guy. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, really, we're just trying to cut out the fat here, cut out a lot of the extra excess work. So uh, somebody like you, William, is, is a great example of um, how it does indeed work in the long run. And it's I just, you know, I'm ultimately grateful for the fact that everybody gives their uh, excellent feedback all the time and they share their scenes that are uh, helping other people. It's made Mandarin Blueprint highly powerful, uh, and it just keeps getting more and more powerful. Every week we look at, uh, where there were comments on videos that never had a comment before or lessons that never had a comment before. And, uh, there's just always like at least, you know, 30 to 50 each week. And you just think about that over a year, over two years, over five years, that's just going to create the most powerful course ever. And I just, I'm so uh, impressed by all of you. So thanks so much. And thanks to William for the great feedback. Lynn Ford on bonus stroke order rule three of 12. She says, it's funny. When I began this journey before I found you guys, I thought I needed to learn the same way I learned to read and write, which is rote learning. So my plan was to write the characters about 50 times each and try to memorize it. I quickly discovered on my first character that there had to be a method to it because it looked terrible I spent the next month studying stroke order, learning all the strokes and combinations, practicing endlessly. Mind you, I had learned nothing about pinyin, how to say the words, radicals, etc. It was a really backward way to learn, and I am glad I didn't go too far down the rabbit hole before I discovered your much more effective way of learning. That being said, I am really glad I know how to write characters so well. It gave me a bit of appreciation of the art behind characters, and I don't know, I kind of get this thrill just seeing them. It is like each one is a tiny piece of art to me, beautiful, ancient, and full of meaning. 
It's so it's so far the best thing I have going for me with learning Mandarin, but I am gradually getting the hang of everything else. Great vids so far. Well, thanks, Lynn, and I do feel similarly about Chinese characters. I like writing them, and there is definitely a difference between knowing how to write a character versus having good handwriting. And I will say that the only time I ever feel that it is worth writing a character over and over is if you're trying to make your handwriting look nice. And uh, I personally don't really care about that. So my Chinese handwriting is, uh, you know, kind of like my English handwriting. It's just sort of, it's legible, but it not, it's not great. Nobody looks at it and goes, wow, beautiful. Um, but I do like how Chinese characters look. And I have on some occasions enjoyed practicing writing a character with like a little bit more skill if I particularly like the character. And then of course there's calligraphy and calligraphy is uh, a whole other skill. I mean, I, I, I took one lesson on that once and it's really hard and it would require years and years of practice to get good at, but it is quite beautiful and it is artistic. So uh, I'm glad you're enjoying that element of it, Lynn, and the other parts will very quickly uh, join your stroke order skill. Jason Pond on level 28 complete. He says, I absolutely love these end of lesson summaries and the way you write is so personal and intimate. I've pitched Mandarin Blueprint a few times to people I've met and also on Clubhouse as well. I met someone on Clubhouse who says he knows you too, a Lawrence who lives in Chengdu. <laughs> yeah, I know Lawrence. Lawrence was a, a part of Mandarin Blueprint uh, in the very early days and we were teaching it live here in Chengdu. And yeah, he's a He's a great guy. Um, we were happy to uh, have him around. And yeah, it's a, he's he's doing some great stuff as well. I think he wrote a book about learning Mandarin. So uh, he's he's a good dude. And Clubhouse, you know, I keep hearing about Clubhouse. Seems like it's uh, pretty, pretty fun. Uh, I don't think I have the time to get into it. I've, you know, I've, me personally, just a personal note, I can't get into um, social media. It's actually one of the things that uh, I found after moving to China, like, I can get over the great firewall, but like, because going onto Facebook or Twitter has this extra step of needing to fire up a VPN, I've always found that it was easier for me to just ignore it and just not look at it for a while. I mean, I have a Facebook, I deleted my Twitter years ago. Um, I technically have an Instagram account that I've never posted on. And I just have found that uh, it's like, I just have avoided it and I'm kind of glad that I have because it appears to have like generally lowered people's sense of well-being. So I hope that uh, those of you who are using social media can occasionally just take a break from it because it's, it, it seems to be all told kind of negative for people's personal um, sense of peace, I guess it were. I mean, obviously there are great things that come from social media and I'm not trying to like just say social media all sucks, but it certainly can be uh, rough. But then Clubhouse seems like an interesting kind of difference because it's all audio and voice based. So, you know, maybe it's pretty cool. Maybe I'll check it out someday. Next, Melissa Gior on bonus, the language learning tripod part two, attentiveness. I really like the idea of immersing yourself. Each time I listen slash watch a drama, I am picking out more words. When I first watched it, I understood absolutely nothing, but now I am able to hear many more individual words. I look forward to when I can actually understand so much more. Time, practice, patience. Practice, practice, patience. Time, I will get there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, it sounds like you have a great attitude, Melissa, and, uh, you know, attentiveness is, I think, the most important part of the language language learning tripod, which is attitude, attentiveness, and time. And they do all fill 
uh, you know, feed off each other. But attentiveness is sort of the most skillful of the three in the sense that in any given moment, you could be noticing something or you could be lost in your head thinking about something else. So the skill of developing that close awareness of what is possible to notice, uh, it just really helps. So if you can manage to make sure that Chinese is available to be noticed, you know, that you could open your eyes wherever you are in your house and there's some Chinese around that your ears being open means that Chinese is going to enter your eardrums. Uh, at least the possibility to notice is there. And then all you do is you get better at your attentiveness. And as the Chinese would say, man, man, lie. So like, it'll just slowly come. It'll slowly come. And so uh, I'm glad that you're enjoying that element to it and you have the right attitude, which of course is uh, the first part of the language learning tripod. So great stuff, Melissa. Kelly on bonus relator towards a target with doi. What a relief to finally have this explained. I think it would have been useful perhaps around eight levels ago. So yeah, I mean, um, we, our philosophy with teaching grammar lessons is that you can teach a grammar lesson before you've seen the grammar point ever. You could say, okay, we're about to introduce a bunch of sentences that have a grammar point you haven't seen. So before you do that, we're going to teach you a lesson that shows you how it works. But the problem with that is that the emotional experience of learning a grammar point before you've ever seen it is kind of like, okay, all right, so you can do this with doi. All right. And that's not very exciting, right? It's sort of like, because... What else would you feel if you just learn a random piece of information that doesn't apply to anything that you have already seen? But what did Kelly say? Uh, I don't know. Kelly can be both a male or female name. So he or she said, what a relief to finally have this explained. Well, that's a good feeling, right? So if you associate a positive emotion, relief, with learning the, um, the character of the grammar point, well, that's great because that means that you're going to end up in a situation where you uh, are excited about what you're learning. And if you're excited about learning a grammar point or you're relieved, then that's much better than just being like, okay, I learned this grammar point. So um, our philosophy is see the grammar point in context of characters and words you already know several times and then introduce the grammar lesson. And so it's so that you get that positive emotion around it. So thanks to Kelly for the uh, comment. And Giles on make a movie for tun, which means inch or like it's like kind of a Chinese system of measurement. Uh, and a yung tun is the inch in the imperial me measurement system. So it's literally like the English inch. She says, fabulous and helpful answer. I was kind of drawing a blank when I looked at each of these characters. I think I've been focusing on how to encode info. You reminded me how to decode. Thank you. And she's just referring to uh, the response. She had three different characters. She was starting to get uh, a little bit mixed up. And so I just gave a few bits of advice on how to, uh, I guess, as she's saying, decode the info. And yeah, it's kind of like you're encoding your hands of movie method scenes, but you're also decoding what it is about the character itself. So I like how Anne's thinking of that. And that's a cool way to think of it. Decoding and encoding. I like it. 
Eleanor McComb on bonus principle versus reality in Mandarin. She says, I learned Mandarin informally in Taiwan and have lived in Qingdao on the mainland teaching English and the dialects are different, but so are the accents. That northern accent seems so unnatural to me now and I'm trying to retrain myself, but is there really a reason besides business and perceived professionalism to develop a Beijing accent? Is it like the Queen's English? I've been asked if I'm from Singapore, but sometimes I get the impression that my accent is as though I chose to learn English in Scotland and just sounds a bit odd. No shade to any Scots. My Chinese has gotten really bad. Uh, which is, uh, basically means like you've not improved. Instead, you've uh, regressed. And I am loving the course. Thank you. So the Northern Beijing accent is uh, very common. I mean, like it's it's a lot of people are around Beijing. Um, but Mandarin, you know, Putonghua uh, has rules. And so Beijing adds a lot of R to it. Um, but there is sort of a standard Mandarin that's kind of outside of any accent or dialect, which is what we teach here at Mandarin Blueprint. And so while it is true that there isn't any place whose natural dialect is exactly Mandarin, the closest place is Shijiazhuang, the capital of Hebei province. Um, but there's still going to be either some kind of Beijing Hua or uh, there's going to be some kind of uh, southern dialect or the Sichuanhua, Sichuanhua. Um, so the, there is going to be some differences and you'll sound like you're from different regions if you adopt their accents or dialects. And, uh, but to say the Beijing accent is like the Queen's English, I would say, no, Mandarin is the Queen's English. And there is a difference. Like the, the Beijing accent has, well, and also there's the Beijing dialect in the sense that there are words that you only really say in Beijing. So that's dialectical. The accent is more like you're saying the same words, they just sound different. Um, and so Mandarin is like the Queen's English. The Beijing dialect is kind of, I don't know, it's it's just sort of what's popular in the North. Um, and you know, a lot of, since the North is the political center, there's a lot of economic activity there. You know, it makes sense that it kind of is what is very common on TV and stuff, but that's just because it's a cultural and political and economic center, not necessarily because it's like the Queen's English. So, um, yeah, but there's definitely all these differences. If you learn Mandarin, it's the easiest of all of the things, all of the different uh, accents and languages and dialects to to map onto a new one. So if you know Mandarin, then learning Sichuanhua is fairly easy. If you know Mandarin, learning even, even if you learn Mandarin, it's even easier to learn Cantonese if you already know Mandarin than it would be if you were learning Cantonese from scratch. You know, even though they're quite different and they sound different. I can't understand Cantonese, although I recognize that it's Cantonese and I can understand certain words without having ever studied it. Studied it. So it's like, um, yeah, basically, the, if you learn Mandarin, that's going to be the most applicable to all the different uh, accents from there. Good question. Next, we have a question from Cassie Moen on problem initial J and simple final I. and So she says, what does it mean that G has a fourth tone on paper? I would think that tones are only applicable in spoken Mandarin. Well, what, what we mean by that is that uh, G can be a character that has meaning that's not a measure word. So for example, 个人 or 个别. So 个人 means uh, individual. 这是我个人的想法. This is my personal opinion. In, this is my individual opinion, right? 
，呃，呃，个别的东西是不能吃的。呃、uh, ，some individual pieces you can't eat, right? 个别的，呃、uh, ，is another individual word, right? So in in those cases, it's 个 fourth tone. But when it's a measure word, it's 个几个几个七个 right? So with that in mind, um, you can see how the Well, that's what we mean by its fourth tone on paper. Like if you look at "gu" in the dictionary, it's going to say this is fourth tone. But when it's a measure word, it's fifth tone. And so, since it's a measure word, probably more often than it's a, a character in、uh, other words, it's it's that's what we mean by like on paper it's fourth tone, but really in reality it's mostly fifth tone.、Uh, but again, you'll learn some characters or sorry, some words down the line that use it not as a measure word. And when it's not a measure word, it does it is pronounced "gu," and that's all we meant by that. And Giles on time to get real about sentences. She says, "Wow, I snuck ahead of some of the character videos to get a peek at sentences. I can't believe I read this sentence aloud without pinyin and understood it." 早上十点半，我吃了一个半面包。And that's、uh, the sentence means I ate half a piece of bread. At ten thirty in the morning, she said, "That is crazy good. Thank you, Luke and Phil." And yeah, the time to get real about sentences lesson is the first time you see the characters you've learned in context of a sentence without pinyin and can understand them. And so it's a very exciting、uh, milestone in the course. So I'm glad to see that Anne got there. And it's just you know, hey, when you can start reading Chinese without pinyin, that's one of those things that you know you imagine saying that to your past self. Going, you're going to be able to read those someday, and you'll go, nah, you, you kidding me? And it's like you end up doing that within like a month with the Mandarin Blueprint method, if if that. So、uh, great stuff, and thanks for the comment, Anne. Next, we have a comment from Anne Giles on make a movie for G. She says, "Would this be correct?" 你要几个？我要几个 So the first one is a question. Do how many do you want? And the answer is. I want a few,、um, and it technically be correct. Although I would point out that you put a fourth tone onto go, but it would be a fifth tone. It'd be ji go,、uh, not ji go. It'd be ji go.、Um, so that part is incorrect. Now this is technically correct, but、um, if you do this, it, you'll be it'll be a bit confusing because、uh, the person is is by asking ni yao ji go. They're saying how many, so they want an answer, like they want a specific answer when they're asking that. But there's nothing grammatically incorrect about it. You could, if you say 我要几个 then for sure what you're meaning by that is I, I want a few.、Uh, but when you say when they're asking 你要几个 they're asking how many do you want. So if you answer with a few, they're going to be like, well, but I'm asking you how many you want. So like it's better to give it a specific answer, like 我要五个 Five, right? So, all right, cool. Next, Jason Pan on 怎么 in context. 后面请警察帮着一起找 Why is 面 included here? I would think 后面 means behind. So the sentence means afterwards. 请警察帮着一起找 So,、uh, afterwards, invite the police to help、uh, look together. And this comes from a. A longer form content where they're looking for a, or it's a dialogue where it's like they're looking for、uh, a lost child, and so the they're asking the police to help find the child. And、uh, homian in this context, it kind of means like 
when you're telling a story, you're like, and then after that, holai is another way you could say homian. Uh, and yes, homian means behind, uh, but it can also mean afterwards. And as in English, a lot of times there's there's time and space based words that can get used interchangeably. And so that's true in Chinese as well. So that's all it really comes down to. And again, when it comes to these types of things, you, you want to think of it as you want to think of it as uh, you can do this. You can use homian in this way that means afterwards or like after that. And so uh, it's not so much that it doesn't mean behind. It's that it can be used in both ways. And you don't have to try to force it into your own conversation. Just notice it and understand it and move on. And you're good to go from there. Soren Korsbeck on Vocab Unlocked from Xiong. The sentence, 据说凶手已经逃到国外了, which basically means, so it seems the murderer has already escaped abroad. He says, I'm curious about the usage of show here, show. Is it something with handily, conveniently having fled abroad? No, it's the word show means murderer. And so there are many words that use show. For example, show is a person who is highly skilled at something. And usually it's something you do with your hands. I am a show which is a drummer, right? So somebody who uses their hands to play the drums, right? So a lot of times when you use show in this suffix way, it basically means a person who does that thing uh, or maybe somebody who does something very well in the case of gao shou. Um, and so it's kind of that suffix usage, just like we might say ku xue jia. When we say jia, we don't mean literally home. We mean a an expert in a field. So the way to think of that is like they're kind of at home in that field. So it's a suffix and show works as a suffix in that way as well with many words. And so a xiong shou is xiong means like very like uh, brutal and aggressive and like, you know, kind of uh, a dog who's like barking and bites people is considered to be xiong. So a xiong shou is somebody who aggressively uses their hands and maybe kills somebody. So it ends up meaning murderer. And so, yeah, that's how it works. Show can be a, a suffix in that way. And Giles on make a movie for die. So he says, what is the difference in use between bun from the pronunciation mastery course and die? So the difference in usage is that, well, first of all, die can, has this alternate usage of meaning to stay somewhere. So, um, so uh, I, in the summer, I'm going to stay in Qingdao, uh, as an example. And so that, that's an alternate usage, but that's not what we're using here. When it means dumb or dumbfounded, it uh, is usually used as a result, right? So um, uh, he's so handsome that it dumbfounds people. He's, he's uh, Brad Pitt or something. He's shuai dai le. Um, you could say a lot of different things where dai is the, um, is the result. Mei dai le. So beautiful, it dumbfounded people. They looked at the scenery and just, oh, mei dai le. It's kind of an exaggeratory, hyperbolic way of saying something. Um, and then bun is just an adjective. Uh, dai is never used as, as an adjective. So you don't, you can say ta hen bun, 
meaning he is stupid, but you would never use the same structure with die. Die use, is used usually as a resultative compliment. And like, this is the type of thing that we're happy to answer, but this will become clear as time goes on. Like, it's not something you have to know at the moment of learning die. Next, we have Julie Lund on Hui in context. She says, When I read the first part, I thought it meant she lets you have the free time you want, but on the condition that you have you give her a callback. In which part of the Chinese sentence does it indicate a moment? So in this context, so kongla is so kong by itself means to have free time. And so what she's saying is ta So she's asking you or she's you know, making you the l is the key here. So right now you don't have free time, right? But eventually that change is going to happen. So right now you're mang. Mang means that you're busy. But eventually you're mang wan which is an also you could say kong So you've gone from being mang busy to being free kong. So, right? So, um, that's what indicates that it's when you're free or when you have a moment. So like, basically, like, another way of saying when you become free is when you have a moment. So, it's a bit of a translation thing here in the sense that it doesn't directly translate, but it means the same thing. So, the translation we gave, gave here is, like, it must have been she's... Um, she wants you when you have a moment to give her a call back, right? And maybe you could translate it as uh, she wants, she, she's asked you when, or she wants you when you're free, when you become free to give her a call back. Um, but yeah, it's it's the kong le. The le is what is making that clear there. And le can be used in this way a lot. You know, like, ni吃了就给我说一下. Um, after like when you've eaten and in this case this is why we say that l doesn't always mean uh doesn't always mean the past because sometimes you use it in this way uh, uh so after you've eaten or when you've eaten like when eating is completed let me know right uh so that's how that works soren korsbeck on vocab unlocked from tong yongfa yi Open and through. So, tong meaning open or through. The sentence here doesn't make sense to me when considering tong to mean open or through. However, I think that Google Translate is right in, and as it seems sensible. He finally figured out that money is not the most important thing and love is more important than money. Just flagging in case it is useful to know it isn't immediately clear and I found it a bit confusing. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like thought through. Xiang tong, right? So when you've gone through it entirely then you've xiang tong le. And this is a really common uh, word, actually, to use xiang with the result of tong, meaning that when something is tong, it's clear and open, and there's a clear line of communication that can be created. So a tong dao is like a, a tunnel of some sort, or a short tunnel, or a, a connection that is usually enclosed. And then um, 
you know, if you sound tong le, you've thought it through or figured it out, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, like you could say, I, I, I'm not sure what other word we might use here uh, as opposed to open or through, but, you know, sound tong means to think through. He finally thought through um, or he finally figured out. You know, it's like tong by itself there doesn't mean figured out. It means it means through, and then you add xiang, and then you can say, okay, think through, xiang tong, uh, and then you could say that means figured out, but figure doesn't work for tong by itself. It only works for xiang tong. So I, I still think it makes sense, but um, you know, perhaps you could give a an alternate word there that might make more sense, but makes sense to me. Philip Dong on vocab unlocked from Chu. Hi, Luke and Phil. Regarding the grammar review sentence, 我想明年去中国, speaker is not currently in China, does this assume that the listener slash receiver is also not in China? As an example, if the listener slash receiver is in China, does the sentence change to 我想明年来中国? Thanks, Philip. So the answer is really all of these can makes sense. The only reason we put speaker is not currently in China is to let you know the difference between chu and lai. So uh, suppose the person was in China and they might say 我想明年来中国, which would which would imply that at some point they're going to leave China and then they're going to come back, right? Um, but in this case, by saying 我想明年去中国, what they're saying is um, that I'm going to go to China, and if you're going to go somewhere, you're not there currently. Now, this the listener, it doesn't really matter whether they're in China or not because the speaker is speaking from their own perspective. Now, I've brought this up before because if you're on the phone with somebody, sometimes you naturally, empathically imagine yourself in their shoes and say it from their perspective. So like if you were on the phone with somebody in China, you might say, 我想明年来中国, but that's just because you're think you're naturally thinking from their perspective. Like you're having a conversation, you're communicating with them. So you naturally think in their, from their perspective. We do this in English all the time too. We don't even recognize that we're doing it, but we, we do that too. So it, I, it's not like there's no context in which it matters that they're in Chi- the listener is in China or not, but generally speaking, it doesn't have to matter. All that has to matter is that you're talking to the one person who, like you're, you're thinking of it from your own perspective. Uh, so hopefully that makes sense. Kevin Lee on 点中 in context. When can we leave off the character 中 in the example above? 几点中了? So the first question is 几点中了? What time is it? 五点了? Five o'clock or five. Zhong is used to ask what time, but in the answer it is omitted. In other examples, Zhong is used to indicate time o'clock, but then not in the answer in this example. Is it because the question implies it? The usage or not usage in this case makes total sense to me. I'm just curious if there's a hard and fast rule that can slash needs to be applied in this case. No, there is no rule about this. You can say 五点钟. That's just the more complete way to say five o'clock, or you can just say 五点, which is, I just make it, the comparison I just make to it is in English, we say five o'clock sometimes, and sometimes we just say five, right? And if the context is clear enough, that's kind of like saying wu dian. Um, and wu dian zhong is like saying five o'clock, and wu dian is just like saying five. You can say either in any context. Um, 
So yeah, that's what I would say there. Rick Santos on Vocab Unlocked from Tsu Ta is it all right to translate e as a bit so that the meaning would be he a bit carelessly stuck the needle into his hand? Yes, I, I, I think of this more as as soon as he was not careful, he took the uh, needle and stuck it into his hand. Uh, so, ta and you there's an omitted jiu. Here, so e jo means as soon as, but the jo is omitted. So let's just add it in. Ta e bu xiao xin jo ba zhen zi jin le shou li. So you omit the jo, but basically, like as soon as something happens, then something else happens, right? So as soon as he was not careful, he stuck the needle into his hand while sewing or something. So yeah, that would be my answer to that. Finally, we're going to cover the vocab living links comments and the movie scene shares. So the first is a vocab living links con, uh, comment from Oscar Hagland on vocab unlocked from Wang, Wang Ji, which means to forget. The main character in memory needs to write everything down before he forgets. So, okay, so there must be a show called Memory uh, where he needs to write everything down. That reminds uh, me of uh, Memento. I wonder, I think uh, maybe maybe Memento is called Memory in other countries. So, uh, But even so, even if it's a different movie, that's a good connection. And of course, Wang Ji means uh, forget, remember, but it's one of those words where the second meaning was lost. So it just means forget. So Wang Ji means to forget. And they uh, Wang means has the heart component in it, which often means heart and mind. So forgetting is, of course, something that happens internally. So it's kind of a, an interesting connection there as well. Thanks to Oscar for the comment. Julia Lund on, or Julie Lund on Vocab Unlocked from Xi, Guan Xi and Lian Xi. She says, Lian Xi, a photo of LinkedIn. You're literally linked to other people in some sort of relationship. And usually recruiters say, we'll get in touch after a job application. So yeah, that's a great connection to Lian Xi. And I believe that the LinkedIn, I've forgotten what LinkedIn is in Chinese, but I know that Lian is in it. So uh, that makes sense. And of course, while we're on this topic, Guan Xi is the other character that's uh, a word that's unlocked from xi and we wrote an article about guan xi and it's uh you can uh, look it up on our blog just type in guan xi on our blog and you'll find it uh the way i like to think of this word is that a relationship requires that your system be somewhat closed because if you're completely open to anything that comes in, then you don't really have a relationship with it because it's just one of the many things that's entering into your consciousness, right? But if you have some sort of closed relation, closed system where some people aren't allowed in, then that is your relationship network. So uh, guanxi is very important in China. And it's so it's your network of relationships, and that's kind of what you know. She means system, so uh, your closed system of relationships is your guanxi. Uh, so I kind of like to think of it like that. Corneal on vocab unlocked from hui, ji hui, and yi huar. So ji hui, take the opportunity, otherwise the machines will. <laughs> because of course ji is a machine as one of its main uh, meanings, and hui is. Uh, you know, a meeting or will. Uh, and so machine will 
take the opportunity. Otherwise, the machines will. I like that. And, uh, you know, Ji can also mean like your motivation. So your motivation uh, will is uh, an opportunity or your motivation uh, meeting is where the where your motivation meets reality is your opportunity. So that's another way to think about it. And then uh, is the other word that's unlocked from hui. And it means uh, in a bit or in a moment. Um, so one huar. And this is kind of an interesting one. It doesn't necessarily connect to the idea of will or able to or um, meeting, although you could think of it as yi huar. In one bit, we'll have a meeting, right? So that's kind of a way to think of it. And by the way, just as a, a, a point about this, like we've talked about yi xia, which usually comes after verbs, like kan yi xia, kan yi xia. Like look at that for a moment. Um, now, kan yi huar, what's the difference? Well, kan yi huar would mean for a bit, and it, it it's longer than yi So when we're talking about time-based measure words, you know, one xia, yi xia. A xia is shorter than a huar. So yi huar means for a bit. And another way you can, another thing you could say here is dai huar. And when you say dai huar, that means a bit later. So dai huar jian. I'll see you in a bit. Dai huar jian. And you usually use that before a verb like so you'll say dai huar jian means see you in a bit and then uh kai huar would mean like i'll kai huar shu i'll read for a while it's kind of got that feeling of a while it's still you know within a day and with probably even like within a few hours but it's longer than just a short moment um so yeah that's the way you can think about it next we have a movie scene share hank elliott on make a movie for pian and so pian means to um, deceive or lie or cheat. And a pianzi is a cheater or a liar. Okay, so his actor is Pink, the singer. The set is Andy's house. The room is the bathroom. And the props are a horse and slate. Pink is in the bathroom of Andy's house, riding her horse all over the tile floor. The floor is breaking into little pieces, another definition of pian. Uh, that's true, although it's not necessarily that pian, but it's it's they all are pronounced the same. She and Andy are complaining that they were deceived by their contractor because they paid for slate tiles that their horse would not have broken. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of that uh, scene in Inception where the uh, uh, Japanese character at the beginning, Saito, I think his name is, they are pushing him against the floor of his dream within a dream. And he realizes that the carpet is made of polyester in the dream when it was definitely made of wool in real life. And so like in this case, it's like the horse is trampling on the tiles and they, if they had been made of slate, then the horse would not have been able to break them. But the fact that he was able to break them proves they weren't made of slate. And so there was a deception involved just like there was in inception, deception, inception. Oh my God. That's great. John DeMoron, make a movie for Dong, which is winter. This is a nice, simple one. Outside my ANG set, in the middle of winter, I see the Taskmaster skating over a bed of popsicles. And hopefully they're just created, the bed of popsicles was put there by the actor or something. But uh, I like that. Very quick, very easy. Winter is, uh, you know, a pretty clear visual keyword. Maybe, you know, you, you show some contrast with summer in some way to make it clear that it's winter, but good stuff all around. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Tse. 
This is the first character in Tsuasul, which is Toilet. See actor in the backyard, fourth tone, of the E set. See actor was looking urgently for a cliff-like cover for privacy in order to do his business. Specifically, it was to separate, which is, I guess, his rep representation of the sword component from something of value bait and be free from it. In the process, it relieved him from such a discomfort, and consequently, it gave him a great convenience. Da bien. <laughs> so, da bien means big convenience, a.k.a. Uh, going number two. Behold, the comfort room. Tulsuol. <laughs> so, that's, uh, I love it. Rick likes to get involved some of the words that come from the character as well. And that's a good thing to do if you want to ever look ahead uh, to the next lesson and see, when you're in the intermediate course, and see... Uh, what the words are that are unlocked, if that helps you learn the character, that's a perfectly reasonable um, uh, way to handle it. So the way you could do that is just if you're on your computer, open up the Make a Movie lesson and then open in a new tab the uh, Vocab Unlocked lesson. And then if you're struggling at all to come up with the uh, word, you can also you can just see it from the Vocab Unlocked. Nice. Will Rayleigh on Make a Movie for Fun. Powder. Flynn... In the EN's living room, Flynn has some rice to cook, but has nothing to cook it with. So Flynn tries tossing the rice into his Star Trek force field, Fun to cook. Unfortunately, the force field is so strong that it turns the rice into powder. Flynn is annoyed that he will have to eat powder rice now. <laughs> I like it. And of course, that I can imagine that you like throw a piece of rice through the force field and it just powders up from there. Uh, totally. That's, that's a great scene from Will. Hank Elliott on Make a Movie for Hui, which means to wave. The actor is Hulk. The set is My Son-in-Law's Dad's House, Jay. And the props are Finger, Crown, and Sports Car. First, I'd like to explain that this scene is an exact replica of a photo that my daughter's father-in-law sent to me with my daughter driving his brand new Miata with her daughter in the car. They were both waving and both wearing princess tiaras. <laughs> nice. Okay. So there they are in Jay's driveway. M Mariah, daughter, is driving Jay's Miata with the top down and with Adeline, granddaughter, in the front seat. Both are wearing tiaras and waving at us. But now... Hulk hops into the back seat wearing his crown and also waving with his giant finger. What a spectacle with the front wheels practically off the ground with all three grinning and waving happily. Bam, memorized forever. And of course, they can do that sort of queen wave, that sort of weird wave that I don't understand. <laughs> nice, awesome, great stuff. Will Rayleigh on Make a Movie for Gua, which means frame. So, uh, and a Gua is like, this character is used a lot, like, for example, a, um, uh, a kungu is a space, you know, between words, you know, so you add a kungu, and, uh, uh, you know, goods in general is a little frame, it's, there's lots of ways that you can use gu. Greg is in the E-Set's kitchen, and he likes his passport photo so much that he wants to frame it, so passport is his right side component. Greg cuts up a tree and makes a frame out of it. Greg frames his passport photo. <laughs> nice, simple stuff. Uh, I like that, and of course the gua has that square frame, rectangular frame uh, element to it, so uh, awesome. Will Rayleigh on Make a Movie for Tool. 
which is uh, distinct, clearly noticeable, clearly separate, and different. And this is the most common character in the word chu, which just means clear. Uh,很清楚. I get it. It's very clear. I no problem. Okay, continuing. He says, Chef is in the null set's living room, childhood home living room. Chef sees something distinct from the rest of the living room. It's tree beard coming right at him to destroy Chef. <laughs> nice. Chef gets a rocket launcher and blasts Treebeard away. Treebeard on fire is more distinct than ever now. <laughs> yeah, nice. So everything else in the living room is exactly how you would expect. And, um, you know, you can add some extra features to him to make him even more, more distinct if you want. But this is probably good enough to remember distinct forever. So... Good stuff. And that concludes this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Thanks so much to everybody for uh, giving great suggestions, great questions. It was a long one this week, but uh, all good stuff all around. See you next week.